Hey everyone, this is Jason Gilligan, CEO of EarFluence, which produces this show. This week, we wanted to invite you to a special webinar called Why the Startup Community Should Care About Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. When you're a startup fighting and scrapping for survival, there's limited time, money, and attention, and it's hard to think about building a company with a DEI lens. But in this webinar, which is Thursday, June 3rd at 12 o'clock Eastern Time, you'll have the opportunity to ask questions about how exactly startups can activate DEI into their cultures. This won't be a webinar about the why. We all know the many reasons why, because you'll get different perspectives, you'll get different ideas, you'll think outside the box, your team will be happier, and because your company will grow. No, this webinar will be about the how, actionable tips that you can use to improve your DEI culture tomorrow. Panelists are Donald Thompson, CEO of the Diversity Movement, Lister Delgado, Managing Partner of Idea Fund, and Shelly Willingham, Vice President of Business Strategy at the Diversity Movement. That webinar again is Thursday, June 3rd at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, and we hope to see you there. Welcome to If You Only Knew, brought to you by the Diversity Movement, where Dr. Debbie Stroman talks race and diversity in sports with some of the most influential leaders at the intersection of athletics and racial equity. Today's guest is Mac Brown, head football coach at UNC. Today, Coach Brown opens up about growing up in the South and what his parents did when they saw racism, his growth when he started to realize his privilege, the patches the football team put on their jerseys, and why he's not afraid to talk about race. Here's your host, UNC professor, entrepreneur, speaker, consultant, and advocate, Dr. Debbie Stroman. Excited today, I have the opportunity to spend some time with Coach Mac Brown. He is no doubt a legend to everybody in the Tar Heel Nation, and certainly he's done some incredible things that make even his rivals have to respect him. So thank you for being here, Coach. Thank you, Dr. Stroman. I'm excited about our next hour. Absolutely. So let's start off. Tell me where it all started. Like, where did you grow up and what brought you to sports at a young age? Debbie, I was so lucky. I was raised in a small town in, in Tennessee, Cookville, Tennessee. My grandfather was the love of my life. He was the local high school football coach that the stadium now is named after. He was the winningest high school football coach in Middle Tennessee history at that time. And he became the superintendent of schools. He ran all the recreation programs in the, in the county. So uh, I just worked for him. I loved him. He taught me how to fish. My dad wouldn't let me hunt because he's afraid he'd, I'd shoot somebody, I think. So I, I never got to hunt. But I ran all the Little League and Babe Ruth League baseball programs. And I worked on all the fields. And then my granddad and I would go down and stay at the little trailer at, at the lake and we'd fish at night. We'd fish the next morning, and go back to work. And he actually integrated the schools in our community when I was really, really young. So I was so fortunate with race that race was not an issue in my life. I realize now he took a lot of criticism, but I remember going with little league baseball team and my dad was driving and, and we stopped. And dad walked in and I remembered the signs, the, the white bathrooms and the colored bathrooms and dad walked back out and we were all really hungry. And I was probably 10 or something. And dad said, we're not going to eat here. And we left. So a couple of years later, I said, why didn't we eat there? And he said, they wouldn't let the, the kids of color eat. Wow. And he said, I said, well, why didn't you bring some stuff out? He said, I wasn't going to eat those people's food. 
So I, I thought I was really lucky that I was taught at a very young age that people are people and the color of your skin shouldn't matter. So I was really, really blessed. And I want to be a great grandfather to my grandkids because my granddad was so good to me. So that's one of my goals here. I've got six grandkids. Sally and I have six grandkids and I love them and I want them to look back at their granddad like I looked at mine. Well, I don't even have to ask you then about role models because clearly your granddad is very, very special. And we're connected besides being Tar Heels, but also through your daughter, who I just adore, who is doing, who's following in your footsteps and, and being there for racial justice. So I'm very, very blessed to know her. So I know the DNA is running through the family for sure. Well, Barbara is so sweet and, and she's, uh, I'm so proud of her too. She's creating a lot of change and helping with change at the University of Virginia. She's strong, she's tough. And, and I love her so much, but I'm very, very proud of her. Now, baseball. So were you the type of athlete that was more of the uh, quiet assassin like Barry Sanders or more of the big talker like Deion Sanders? Now, both athletes get the job done, but you as an athlete, what type of personality did you have in sports? Doc, I've never been a talker. Hmm. That, that's not my deal. My granddad taught me to show class at all times, to be respect, to be humble and be respectful of, of our opponents. So I've gotten some criticism some in coaching because everybody says he's a player's coach because he's too nice. Mm. I, I don't think you can be too nice as long as you're disciplined and mm. as long as you're honest and as long as you're direct and, and you're consistent with who you are. So my motto is a, a player and, and now it's kind of, I didn't know it at that time, but now I know who I am and what I want. I want to be fair to everybody. Mm -hmm. I want to be consistent. I want you to know who I am every day that you talk to me. And I want to always do what I know is the right thing to do. And those are three principles that we teach to our players every day. Be fair. We, we don't have racial issues if we're fair. That's we're right. Fair. But come on, man. Just do what's right mm -hmm. and, and do it every day. Don't get up one day and be a screamer and the next day you're really quiet and everybody's got to wonder who you are and what you are. Be you and be consistent. And then if we always do what's right, then you can sleep really well at night. You don't have to worry about whether you did something good or bad or what you told people. Sometimes people, Debbie, think I'm too direct, mm. but, but it's because I, I feel like I should tell the truth. That's right. And, and if you tell the truth up front and people get upset, that's better than lying to them. And then four years later, they know you're a liar. Mm. So I'd, I'd rather tell people exactly what I think. And then I'll listen. I can learn if I'm wrong. I love to listen. I love to learn. But if you ask me my opinion on something and I've thought about it and I've researched it and I, I have an opinion, I'm going to give it to you. If not, I'm going to say, doc, I, I really don't know enough about that. I'm not there yet. I, let me give me some time so I can look at it, but I'm not going to talk about things that, that I don't understand. Well, you just dropped so many pearls of wisdom in that comment, everything from showing up and being authentic. And I think for myself, I'll speak for myself as I've aged, I've become even more grounded in authenticity because we've seen so much. We've heard so much. As we say, this isn't our first rodeo. And so your point around directness, it, just bring it, just say how you feel. It's better because you create so much confusion and distrust if you don't. 
So I, I love what you said. And then also you brought up accountability. If a person is inconsistent, if you're in a family, if you're in a community, you should have the ability to call that person in, not call them out, but call them in as to yesterday you did this, today you're doing that, what are you gonna to do tomorrow? So, wow, I mean, you just hit so many important points in life, life lessons. Thank you, Debbie. I, I, when Sally, my wife and I got married, we had both gone through divorce and it was really hard and tough and I was very direct. And she said, after six months, you're a little direct for me. I'm not sure, I, I get taken back. And, and I said, you know, I love you very much. And I will never, ever say anything to hurt your feelings. So as long as you know that, listen to what I say. Don't listen to how I say it. She said, well, you're the head coach all day. You're not the head coach when you come home. And I said, I got it, but I am me. And if you ask me my opinion, I would think that you would appreciate me giving it to you. If you want me to just say something soft and sweet every time and not tell you what I think, then we can do that too. And I pretty much do that with the team and the staff. I love all you all. Some of you are better players than others. Some of you are probably better coaches than others. Some of you have things that you're, you're stronger in than in certain mm -hmm. areas than others. But I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. So don't get your feelings hurt. Mm. I'm telling you to help you. I'm not telling you to embarrass you. I don't enjoy getting up every morning and telling people they're not doing a good job. Mm. And I said, I'll tell you, these are things that I like that you're doing. These are th things I'm concerned about and I want them fixed and I want them fixed now. And that's kind of the way we run our whole place over here. Well, you've got me fired up. I'm ready to put on some pads and find some eligibility. Well, Doc, <laughs> no, the I players just... laugh. And, and when I give them some hard information, they'll just all say in unison facts. He just gives there us facts. That's so right. I, I like facts. <laughs> that's a truth teller. Opinions now, are some, one thing, facts are another thing. That's so right. Looks facts. like you've got the lingo down for sure. I love it. <laughs> Now, I know today's athletes are often allowed to show emotion and dance on the sidelines. Is that, I know it's not your preference, but how do you manage that as a head coach? I think the most important thing, Doc, for me is that they have fun. Good. But they do it within a professional way and a classy way because I do not want them to be hurt when they get out of here. In our bubble, they live one life. What, what I've learned, and I've, I've really learned through the social injustice issues we've seen even over the last year and a half or two here that have made me rethink things for years that in our bubble, their lives are different. Our kids' lives are different, black and white, than when they leave our bubble because yeah. we don't have racism in our bubble. Mm -hmm. so I made the awful mistake of thinking for years that we don't have racism. Well, we do when they leave our bubble. And, and that's the hard thing. I, I never thought, I, I heard my friends say, yeah, I don't want my son to drive because he's black. And I said, eh, come on, man. You know, maybe every now and then, but that, that's not, that's not right. And then we see some despicable things that have happened for the last year. So it's real out there. So what I've told our guys is I want you to have a voice, but I want it to be through conversation. And I want it to be well thought out, intelligent conversation yes. that people will listen and respect you. Don't just scream all the time. Mm. If you get mad and scream all the time, nobody's going to listen. They're just going to say, ah, oh, you're black. You, you're, you're just angry. You, you don't really understand. And that, what I've learned is I don't understand. There's a lot of stuff I don't understand and I'm learning. But what I've told them is let me help you with the voice. If you feel like you have pressure to speak for change, but you're afraid to. 
And I got that. I never thought of a, an assistant coach, black or white, but especially of color that would be afraid to have an opinion. Never wow. thought of that till this year. And, I, and it's stupid of me not to have thought of it, but I never thought of it because I never looked at a person's color when I was trying to make a decision on whether they were right or not. And then we've got players that say, coach, I'm not LeBron James, man. You know, he can say what he wants, but I'm worried about getting a job. I'm worried about my NFL draft. So what I've learned is we all need to talk. We all need to listen and learn. We need to embrace differences because that we can learn more from embracing differences. And by doing that, then we can have good conversation because we've researched it and we're intelligent about it. Let's don't scream. Let's don't shout. I don't like burning businesses of innocent people who had nothing to do with the racism. Uh, I don't like the abuse that happens in protest where police are, are beating honest people who have an opinion. So we, we've got to rethink this and let's talk. Let's learn. Let's have conversation. Let's work for, for proper change. Let's just don't scream at each other and yell at each other because we don't agree with an opinion somebody has or, or, and I, I still, I get naive to a point that I think, why are we talking about color in 2021? <laughs> I mean, why are we even talking about it? Come on, man. I, I thought when president Obama became president, we'd be through with that. I thought we were actually through. I, I went to a school in Houston, the large majority minority and the kids, I've never seen happier kids. They all thought they could be president the next morning. And I thought, how cool. And then we have Hillary running. And I thought, yeah, we, women can be president. People of color can be president. We're okay. Let's move on. Let's just have our world now and let's embrace everybody in it. And whether we agree or not, it's okay. You know, you can agree to disagree, but don't scream. Don't fight. I'll tell you, that is the trickery of a very complex. That's what structural racism does. It makes us think that we can put our guards down, but there are people out there and clearly, you know, the FBI has done the reports that white supremacists have infiltrated the police, the military, and of course they're in all the other systems. But when we believe that we can trust and hold hands and kumbaya and work on racial justice and policy and all the things that are necessary to have a healed, healthy country, then here comes racism. So it's almost like we have to keep, well, not almost like we have to keep our eyes on the focus. And for me, as much as I do training and skills work and strategy and tactics, to me, it's heart work, coach. This is heart work. This is about love. Bottom line, I'm not trying to get preachy or anything like that, but I believe ultimately it's about connecting with one another as humans because the Human Genome Project said we're 99.98% alike. Where's the love? No question. What I think we've got to do, Doc, is really work to change those that are, are evil that have infiltrated different areas. I've talked. There's some people of color who hate white people and they're angry, and, and that's going to be hard to change. There's some people that are white, white supremacists, uh, white in general, mm -hmm. that have never eaten lunch with a black person. They've never that's had them in their house. They don't, they don't even know. Same thing with some of the, the, the black people that don't like white people. I don't like them. In either case, they don't even know them. That's right. They, they don't understand. When, when I first got to Texas, the last all white national championship football team was at Texas in 1971. 
Mm. So the older black communities in the state of Texas were angry and didn't want their sons to come because I couldn't get in. That's so why right. would I want my grandson to come? Why would I want my son to come? And, and we had to go through a process then of talking about, let's start over. Wow. Let, let's make sure that we're looking at what's best instead of what's in the past. Let's fix well, it. And what's powerful is that that wasn't that long ago. No. And I, I was fortunate that it, I went to Vanderbilt and one of the first black athlete in the SEC was Perry Wallace. And he right. was a, a basketball player mm-hmm. and I watched him. He was two years older than me. And then we had three African-American football players on our team. Never thought about it. Never mm-hmm. thought about Perry, people slurring him from the, the stands. Never mm-hmm. thought about it. Never mm-hmm. thought about the three kids on our team that were of color, what they must have gone through. I just, mm-hmm. because they were teammates. That's right. And I, I've often thought I probably should call Perry and say, you know, I'm really sorry. No, <laughs> I no apology. I, I, I didn't even think about you having to do things and go through things different from me. So I talked to our team about the 60s. Good. I remember Mr. Meredith going to Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. I was a kid and I, I watched it. I remember the, the walk at Selma. And how awful. I remember the riots. I remember the burning and the, and, uh, the protest and the, the beatings. And, and I thought we were through that. Mm-hmm. And I really did. And to see the protest this year, I, I said it, this is just revisiting our history. Yeah. And I thought we were fixed and we got to fix it. Yeah. And, and maybe now we're smarter. We've got more voice. It's time to fix it. That's we can right. have this happen in another 30 years. And, and I do think that for all of us who think, ah, a couple of people lost their lives, we're seeing more now because of video. That's right. There's a lot of people that have been harmed that nobody ever knew about. And, and now it's coming to surface because, thank goodness, we've got police video of everything that happens now. So we're aware and it needs to change. Well, thank you for relaying that about your experience at Vanderbilt. I was interviewed recently and it uh, got some publicity and one of my teammates called me from way back when we played together at Virginia in the late 70s, early 80s. And she said, I had no idea that this was going on. I was the first black female scholarship athlete at Virginia. And you might not know this, but I was the first black assistant coach. Well, no, first black female coach at Carolina when I coached with Jennifer Alley. And when you're going through it, you don't notice anything. But then later on in life, you can reflect. You can reflect. And sports is different. Yes. It's a cushion. It's an insulation. Because you mentioned a bubble. That's very true. If the world was run like a locker room, our world would be good. Because people don't look at color. You don't even think about it. People hug and kiss and and brag on and yell at. But it's not about color. It's about personalities. It's about what things should be. And that's why I love sports so much. Well, the inside the locker room, the sport business world, that's where it's a system. And that's where we have to draw attention. But tell me about your team this year with the patch. How did that come about? I know that's created a great buzz with the Tar Heel Nation. I think it's awesome. Tell me about the roots of that. Debbie, when we when COVID hits and our world has changed completely, we can't even see each other. We can't hug each other. Kids are all home. Coaches are gone. We can't have staff meetings except for Zoom. And I've, I've learned that when you do a, a mass meeting with Zoom, 
There's no emotion. It is so flat. I mean, it's so weird. And they're giving you a thumbs up or a, you can't see anything. So in fact, Barbara called me and said, listen, dad, you're going to hear about this thing called Zoom when the pandemic hit. And I said, what are you talking about, sweetie? And she said, we're, we're going to go class on Zoom. You're going to have to do your meetings on Zoom. So I said, well, teach me how to do it. Uh, so Bar- Barbara, daughter Barbara, and I told her, I wish I'd had stock in Zoom. Exactly. So, so then all of a sudden things start coming up that, that are happening in our lives with race. And a lot of our guys haven't seen this stuff before and it's, it's there, it's real. And I think the, you know, the George Floyd stuff was so awful mm-hmm. and, and we all saw it. We saw it repeatedly. And even in the trial, I was told to tell our team, some of them shouldn't watch it because it's really emotionally hard and it's uh, a mental strain. So be careful when you watch it. So, and maybe it's cowardly of me. I didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I could. I, I didn't want to see somebody die with a, a guy's knee on his neck. I just, I, so I couldn't do it. No, self-care, self-care. I sat there one day and tried and I, I turned it off. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it. So we really sat down and, and, and we started dialogue. Our, our staff, I had uh, two staff members that said one white, one black, best friends, room office right next to each other, didn't speak for three days. So I hear that and I'm thinking, ooh, that's tough. And then I feel the strain on, on our, our country and our world. And I'm watching protests like everybody else. So, so we pulled everybody together in the staff room and I said, okay, what's, what's this deal? And the white guy said, I don't know what to say. It's awful. And I can't walk in his office. I just, I feel bad. I'm, I'm white. A white man killed a black man. And I don't know what to say. And the, the coach of color said, you know, same here. I, I know it's uncomfortable and I don't know what to say. So I said, why don't we say what we think? Why don't you walk in and say, how bad is this? This is awful. I feel so bad. Mm-hmm. I said, you're not the white man. You're the, you're the man. You're the person talking about somebody who got killed and how awful it is. And, and then we started talking about the N-word and we started talking about white on our, in our world, the white kids and the white coaches are the minority. How much pressure is there on the minority? How are you supposed to act? And then we, we ask everybody if a white player is singing a song and the N-word comes up, does that make you mad as a black person? They said, absolutely. And, but as a black player, I can sing the song and the word comes up. So that's really confusing. So why is it not a song? Well, that word's awful. Why is it awful for the white player, but not the black player? So our team is so good, Debbie. They decided not to use the word. They threw it out. We don't use it in the locker room. We don't use it in any song because it's it's a word that divides people. I like what you said. Our team decided. No, we had a vote. We had a full discussion on just the N-word and where it fits. And then we started into the protests this summer with the, the NBA protests, the hockey leagues protesting, baseball's protesting, WNBA and... And so I told the guys, uh, don't start meeting without me. Mm. Let's talk. You, you want to miss practice? You want to, you want to protest? What what do you want? Let's talk and let's figure out what we want to do. And uh, I said, the NCAA is allowing us to have a patch this year for something. If you want it like the NBA. So let's, let's talk about it. And they said, we have a leadership committee of about 23 kids that the team chooses. And I said, take it to the leadership committee. And then you all talk to the team and come back to me with ideas. 
Now this leadership team is different from captains. Oh yeah, well, there's 23 of them. You can have about four captains. We do game captains and then the players choose the captains at the end of the year based on what they did during the year. So after that, we said the NCAA also is allowing you to put the name of, of any anything you want basically as long as it's within class on the back of your jersey for game. So they came back and, and Taman Fox is one of our players is a really great artist. And we told him to come up with a, a patch and the leadership committee did. So he came up with an unbelievable patch and yes. we showed it to the team and we voted and they all said hundred percent. So that was for forever game. And then we, we said, what about the name on the back of the jerseys? We'd love to do it for Notre Dame because that's where we'll, we'll have the most exposure. I said, that's mm -hmm. fine. I'll, I'll approve it through the administration, but that's what you want. That's what we'll do. And then I said, put a well-thought message on the back of your jersey. Don't just throw something out there. And don't do something LeBron did. Do something that's important to you. One young guy put a Bible verse on the back. Some people wouldn't have liked that. One young guy had a dad that he lost two years ago. He put his dad's name on the back. I, mm. I tuned up and he, he said, is that okay? I said, sure, it's okay. And then there were some, some things about the injustice that we'd seen. Some people got angry. But you know what? It was a, a way for our guys to share their feelings publicly without getting in trouble because it was a team message. The patch was a team message and that white, that's Hispanic, that's black. It was a team message uh, about change. It was not an individual message. And, and we found that the, the individual messages should probably come from me because I don't care if people get mad at me or not. I'm in my last job, so I'm good. So, so let me do it and let me make those decisions. And to people's credit, I, I got a couple of bad emails, but nothing at all like some people would have thought. We weren't trying to be disruptive, but we were trying to listen and learn and help understand that we need some things to change. Well, I appreciate how that came about. I appreciate your courage, your boldness. I think much of the way that we're not moving towards love is because of fear. And people have this imaginary boogeyman out there that keeps them from taking action. And so you said, I'm going to do this, not only because of my experience, my clout, my position, all of that, because it's the right thing to do. You didn't care about emails that might come in, hate mail, all of that. But there are some people, in particular, some white people in leadership who feel that there's this imaginary boogeyman out there that prevents them to take that very important leadership step. And so again, I salute you. I know there's language out there that's called ally. I don't like ally because that just tends to imply that you're working behind or beside. I like accomplice. I like co-conspirator. I like ally hyphen leader. And certainly that is definitely what you are. I mean, you are leading from the front. So uh, I want to make sure I say that to you. So I appreciate it. Thank you, doctor. It's amazing to me. And, and the word fear fits so well. We're afraid to talk about race. Yes. I'm not afraid to talk about anything because I learn. And if I'm wrong and I'm 69, I'm, I want to learn. I want to learn. I didn't realize that when people were just talking about different things about white privilege, I thought it was because I was white. I have money and I get to do about what I want. I didn't realize it was white. 
so again, the kids laughed at me and I, I said, hey, that's what we're doing. That's why this works. Help me. I learned something. I can learn more all the time. And you know, we, we, I even learned in my five years off, you can learn from losing. You don't have to be depressed and beat yourself up. Learn from it because you don't like it and you won't do it again. So uh, all of the despicable things that happen, we have to learn from it. Mm. We try to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I think that's where I want our team to help make change. Yeah. Well, there's a saying out there when, when you're paid to be stupid, when they give you bread and water to be stupid, you learn to despise instruction. So I think it's wonderful that just like you being a lifelong learner, because each and every day we can learn from one another, we can learn from the research and I'm very, very grateful that so much more research is coming into this space and we're lifting up people who've been working on this for decades. So we're nearing the end and I wanna ask you about a magic wand. If I were to give you a magic wand and you could do anything with that magic wand to help change, improve, advance blacks in sports, whether that's mental, physical, economics, what would you do with your magic wand? I would, number one, I would take all of the issues with race away. I, I like that people have pride in who they are and yeah. where they're from. So when I say a race race, I don't mean that we don't, we're, we're not proud of our heritage. I, I don't ever want that to go away. I, I want the day-to-day -day of who gets jobs, get the best person to get the job. Mm -hmm. That's my magic wand. I, people say, well, you have a lot of coaches of color on your staff. I said, yeah, but all of them are really good coaches. I didn't go say, I'm going to hire black coaches because I, I need black coaches. I'm going to hire the best coach, but I do want a staff that reflects the diversity of our team. That's really important for me. And I do want ladies around because all these guys have mothers and grandmothers. And, and it's important that, that when they're here, they still have that support staff. So we build our program on four principles. And, and number one is communication. So my magic wand would say, let's learn to talk and not be so sensitive and angry. I will not talk to somebody that, that doesn't even know what they don't know because they won't listen and they want to argue before they even start talking. And I'm not wasting air. I'm not wasting my life anymore with that. I hate it. But those boxes, you just check and say that person's not interested in learning. They're interested in talking. So that's not, not my deal. So let's learn to talk. And young guys don't talk. And I'm around young guys all the time. And Barbara, when she was growing up, you asked Barbara, what are you going to do today? Oh, I get up and I'm doing this and I'm eating this for breakfast and I'm doing my hair and I'm doing my nails. And I'm doing... You ask the sons, what, what do you do when you get up? I, I don't know. You, <laughs> you are spot on. You are spot on. This. So I've got to get young guys to talk and I've got to listen. So it's really important that I get our assistant coaches to tell me what they think. I don't want yes people around me. I want people with opinions, well thought out, smart people with opinions so I can learn. The second thing is when you learn to communicate, that magic wand would go to trust and respect. Mm. Because if we have trust and respect to each other, then we're not angry and screaming. Again, we're talking because I respect your opinion. So I want to hear. I trust that I can tell you something. And if I ask you not to tell it, you're not going to go tell it. I used to tell our, our children, Debbie, if, if you told somebody something and if they told it, you'd go to prison for the rest of your life, how many people could you tell? How many people do you trust enough that you could put yourself in prison if they told it and you tell it? And I said, uh, more than five. 
And they'd say, no, I don't even know five. And even some in family, you can't even trust. So that, that right. makes it even tougher. So communication, trust and respect. And then in, in 2009, in the summer, I went to Iraq. I went to Ramstead Hospital in Germany and saw our, our guys and gals that had gotten shot and lost mm -hmm. an eye and disfigured face and lost a leg. And those people were so unbelievable. Those kids were saying, yeah, I got to get back, coach. I got to get back with my, with my group. You know, I let them down and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I'm talking about commitment. So then I go to the front lines and I'm with General Odenero and he's in charge of Iraq at that time. And I said, do you teach leadership or do you recruit leadership? And he said, oh, coach, you teach it. That's why we have academies. Mm. Because the best leader on your team might be the most disruptive person you've got. Mm. And they may lead people. So we need to get people in positions of authority that are great leaders. Yes. And we need to teach other people to lead so we have more leaders and, and strength. And some of the things we've talked about in this podcast aren't happening anymore because the people in charge get it mm. and they're doing what's right. They're doing, and I, I don't even like the word politics. I, I don't like that we've got, I've never been a Democrat or Republican because coaches can't make half of them mad, but I always thought, let's do what's right. Let's yeah. don't do what our party says to do. Let's do what's best for the people. That's, right. mean, that's, that's our government. This is not complicated. But then I also ask him, why did these young people stay over here? The average age is 19 years old. They're getting shot at. The average salary is $24,000 a year. And they're leaving their wives and husbands and kids at home. So why do they stay? And he said, we have a common purpose. And that really got me. He said, our, we're more needed over here. We have more powerful positions over here than we are at home. And we're worried about that person on our right and that person on our left. We care about more than us. And we're worried about keeping America safe. So I came home and the last part of the magic wand would be, I said, we need a common purpose for our team. We don't have a common purpose. We think we do. So our common purpose is not enough people are having fun in sports right now. There's too much pressure. So I want us to have more fun than any other sports team in, in college. And if not, then we're not getting what we need accomplished. You got to have fun. Secondly, I want every player on our team to graduate because that's what they come for. That's right. Whether they're good or bad, whether they're playing or not, I want you to graduate. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, I want us to win all the games because that's what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And if we don't win all the games, it's hard to get them to be in a good mental state to graduate and they're not having much fun. And then the fourth part of this is I want to help better prepare them for life after football because it's coming. Yes. God's going to take their legs away. You and I played at some point it's gone. It's over. And I've seen even the NFL guys have a lot of trouble transferring from where they are transitioning into another life. That's right. But they made so much money playing a game. I'm not going to do that. They're not even paying you, man. And the other thing we're talking about name, image, and likeness and transfer portal. We got so many things going on. I want the second team right guard to be able to get something out of name, image, and likeness. Not just Sam Howell. He going to make enough money anyway. He doesn't need it. Mm -hmm. But all those other kids, we got 120, Debbie, and only 11 play at a time. So we have an issue with morale and, and depression and and self-image. And, but what we can do is give these kids the gift of branding and 
name, image, and likeness to help them get jobs when they get out. So if I could wave my wand, that would be it. Let's communicate better. Let's make sure that we learn to trust and respect regardless of what color you are, regardless of how much money you've got, regardless of who your mommy and daddy are, and regardless really of how, how talented you are. Because if you're here, you, you have a place on our team. And let's figure out what that place is. But you have a place. And then let's, let's make sure that everybody graduates. And then let's make sure that we have a, we're, we're better prepared for life after football when we get through. That is a very, very good usage of that magic wand. Your principles, I can feel not only what you say, but I can feel that they are genuine. It is authentic to you. I love what you said about leadership, that understanding that it can be taught because there's a myth out there that all the leaders in the world were born that way. And it can be taught. You have to have an open heart, open mind, be willing to learn, right? Instruction, but it can be done. And I know, I know people who have been with you, whether it's as players, whether it's coaches, staff and administrators, they feel you, they feel your energy. And we are so appreciative that you are not only the head coach of UNC football, but also you are a leader. You are a leader at the university and the state of North Carolina. So final question, coach, when it's all over and you're sitting in your rocking chair watching your favorite team play and you reflect back on your career in so many different ways, what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for a guy who worked really, really hard and always did what he knew was the right thing to do. And I probably wasn't always that way. I've, I've grown to this and I've grown through some mistakes. I've grown through some really stupid things that I've done. I've gone through some people that I've been so blessed that I've had great leaders and people that I've had as counsel for me. And I've asked them hard questions. And I took five, six, seven people that I really admired and said, why are you successful? And what do you, what makes you right and good? And, and then I would give them things that I was struggling with. How would you handle this? What would you do? And I wouldn't always do what they told me they would do, but it, at, at least I could take it in and I could listen and I could research it in my mind to a point that I'd move it around and see if it fit me. So what, what I want is he did it with class. He worked really hard. He always did what he knew was the right thing to do. And, and I do want the fans, the, the university, our student body and our players to know that when we were here, they had fun. One of the best things is when young people come up now that are older and say, <laughs> when you were here before, I had so much fun. And I thought, good, that's what we want. Yeah. That's part of the experience. You played basketball at Virginia. Yeah. Part of reason young people choose a university is the sports and, and the fun and the, the parties and the feeling and the celebrating around a, a great win for their school. So I wanna be part of that joy and happiness when I'm through. Well, you've certainly done that and then some. So thank you again, Coach Mac Brown, University of North Carolina football. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, Doctor. And thanks for all you do. And, and we got to have people like you and hopefully people like me that keep fighting to do what's right. And at some point, our world's going to keep improving to a point that all the younger ones that follow us will be in a better place. Yes, well stated. The checks you keep the bait. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. Been accused of stealing the review.
Thanks for listening to If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman. I'd love for you to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, be it Apple or Spotify or another. It's also helpful if you would give us a five-star rating and review so we can continue these spotlights. My goal is to get to 100 subscribers and I can't get there without you. Please share this podcast with your friends and family and follow me on social media at drstroman. This show is a production of EarFluence and is brought to you by the Diversity Movement. Thanks for listening to If You Only Knew.